This week, we have a great opportunity to learn from a true business visionary. Frank Krausebeck has founded, built, and monetized several successful companies over the last 30 years. And several puts it lightly. From his involvement in bringing companies like Subway and Domino's into the Asian market, to his work on building up the business capital for folks that eventually founded Comcast, Frank's economic and financial acumen has allowed him to grow his career and the careers of thousands of people along with him. Let's hear how Frank got his start and where he is now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Masters and Founders podcast. Today, we are here with Frank Krasovec, serial entrepreneur, businessman, philanthropist. Frank, I typically like to throw people right into it. Can you tell the audience a little bit about your story from the beginning to maybe a little bit where you're at right now? And we'll get there, but however you feel appropriate. Okay. Well, thank you, and thanks uh, for, yeah, for sure. uh, thank you, giving sir. me this opportunity. Uh, I started uh, in Lakewood, Ohio, where I was born, and uh, I got my first uh, chance to be a business person as a paper boy, and I learned a little bit about leverage at that time because I realized if I held what I paid the newspaper back, I had a little extra money, and I could do something with that money, so I <clears throat> uh, also had to collect money. and. Uh, deliver papers and learn responsibility and also uh, uh, just about uh, you know how life really was as a young kid. I also had one building that had like 120 customers in it, which was nice when you because when you live in the Cleveland area, there's a lot of snow. Yeah, yeah. And it yeah. Kept, kept me warm and, uh, and safe. But uh, I came, I grew up in a working class family, so everybody, uh, I did, I kind of grew up poor but didn't know it because my family lived with its means and the expectations were reasonable. I was the first uh, son to go to college. I went to Ohio University, uh, wound up there uh, as a student that needed some help, and then uh, got a a few small scholarships, went on to get a master's degree and teach there one year, and then uh, started my career in Pittsburgh in a traditional major corporate banking relationship with Pittsburgh National Bank, now called PNC. Gave me great opportunity to travel all over the country we made loans to media, television, uh, energy companies, but we got involved with cable television early on, so that gave me a chance to see real entrepreneurs at work. This is uh, in the <clears throat> late 60s, early 70s. So I wound up moving to Texas in 1974, partnering with some of the pioneers in the business who I had financed, and uh, they, uh, they gave me an opportunity to really learn business because I thought I was smart until I met them, and I realized how much I didn't know and so they were very helpful in giving me operational excellence, uh, I'll call it financial savvy, and uh, learning how to lead uh, in many situations. And so our portfolio of companies was a US cable TV company that was public, a European company in Switzerland that was private that we built to, to eventually the second largest uh, cable TV company in the Germanic speaking part of Europe. We set up a real estate partnership with some English folks, one American center, Norwood Tower, for some of our assets here in Austin. Uh, early on, <clears throat> venture capital, the original venture capital company was Evergreen Capital, then Russ Capital, then Russ Ventures, then Austin Ventures. So it's, uh, there's a history here of having scaled businesses that we were involved in, media, real estate, uh, venture capital. Uh, and I stumbled into a weird business in the promotional products uh, area. I didn't know anything about the business. 
but I saw a very seasoned distribution channel where people who are entrepreneurs would sell products, all types of corporate uh, award and gifts and, and uh, uh, thank yous to companies. And somebody had to process them. So we had a small company in San Antonio called Radio Cap, started with seven people, a small order processing company, did hats, headwear, uh, bought the koozie business in Seguin, Texas, merged it in with that, uh, developed a little uh, called coffee mug drinkware business that was in bankruptcy in Austin, bought it, moved it to San Antonio. That business eventually went public, did sales of about 470 million. We were on the NASDAQ. Uh, we had 10 operations in the US and sourcing operations in Asia. And so it was a fascinating experience. I learned a lot about operations, finance, technology, and, uh, <clears throat> and also got me uh, into China. And so after I sold all of that in the 2003-2004 era, uh, I helped another company that was in my business in Europe uh, come to the U.S. and help them build the same business. And then was looking around, stumbled into uh, China opportunity with Subway Foods about 10 years ago. And uh, we were looking actually to do something with Domino's Pizza, which did not have any presence over there of, of any consequence. So Subway led us to Domino's, and about seven years ago, we bought 18 stores in China, shut down 16 of them for Domino's Pizza. We were in Beijing, Shanghai, and uh, about a year ago, we received the exclusive rights for all of China, Hong Kong, and Macau, so we are now the sole partner for Domino's Pizza. It's called Dash Brands in Domino's China. Mm -hmm. I chair the board. I used to be the largest shareholder, but we've raised capital, and so I'm the largest individual shareholder and uh, have a good, solid board have Australians, Middle Easterners, a few Europeans involved uh, with us, a lot of Americans. And so we think we have a chance to build four or 5,000 stores in China. Wow. We'll finish this year with about 188, 190. So we're just getting our, uh, our anchors in, in uh, uh, set. And uh, we just hired about a year ago our first Chinese CEO, a woman who had been uh, with, uh, she's Chinese, and she had been uh, with McKinsey in the U.S. and then got recruited by McDonald's. And uh, McDonald's uh, put her in charge of 500 stores in, at, before she left. And uh, so we had a chance to recruit her. Fabulous uh, young lady. She, she'll help us go public in about two or three years. So uh, I have a couple other things I do, but that's taking up the majority of my, I'll call it my emotional time. It's mm -hmm. like I work two shifts in the morning. <laughs> they, they, uh, they've sent me a bunch of emails. In the evening, they're up. and. I want to go have a cocktail. You got to be careful. But, uh, <laughs> for answering the emails in the evening, <laughs> right? So, uh, but I've I've learned that uh, I don't want to run anything anymore. But I want to be active in the business where I'm, I can make uh, and have an influence. I like to mentor uh, the way I was mentored, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and I like to have companies with the good the right values and uh, it, it, to do what do what's right because nothing goes up straight. There's always some blip in the road, and right. uh, you just have to. Uh, go through that. So I know operations, finance, uh, leadership, and something about philanthropy too. So I like to stay busy and uh, I measure myself by my golf handicap and, uh, and I'm not doing well because my index is going up a little bit. So I need to play a little more golf. Fantastic. That's kind of my story. That's a lots of information in that story. And I had so many questions. I want to go back to Paperboy entrepreneurism, and then that takes you to actually going to work for someone, which is at, at the bank. Right. At, the, at, at some point, you went back into entrepreneurism, I guess when you moved back into Texas is what I heard. Right. And was there any, was this already a, yes, I'm going to do this, or was there any fear about jumping off and being an entrepreneur versus working for someone else? 
I think uh, it's a great question because I did not think uh, I could, I wasn't trained to start my own business, but when I was a banker, I saw so many businesses, big, medium sized and small, and I saw people create things, and especially in the cable TV business. And so the entrepreneurs that were in that business, uh, for example, Brian Roberts, who runs Comcast, we loaned his father money when they had about 50,000 cable subscribers. Wow. So I met Brian when he was 14. He was groomed, you know, there were a bunch of brothers in the family, but there, he was groomed and he wound up running all of Comcast now. So what I was able to do when, when there was an opportunity in Texas, I saw that I didn't want to work for a big company. I wanted to, I saw, I was working hard, but I wanted to see that people were rewarded. Mm -hmm. And obviously financial rewards were there, but it was more the financial and psychic income that they were always happy. They didn't mind, you know, if they had to work seven days a week, there wasn't a complaint. It was that I'm building something, I'm doing something, I'm, I'm creating jobs for people. And uh, so that resonated with me. And once I got into it, it's like the fire in my belly never left. Yeah. And about how old were you at, right when this fire in your belly kicked off? Well, I, I'll give you two fires in my belly. Yeah. Uh -huh. that, that this, the one I just described was between 20, 20 29-ish mm -hmm. when I was moving here. And I could see, I'd been working for about seven years, I could really see that somebody knew how to do it. Real fire in my belly came the day I graduated from high school. And uh, uh, I was not a great high school student and, in terms of academics, like sports and messing around. And uh, I learned that that day my, my grandfather, Krasovic, my father's side had passed away. And uh, here's a man who immigrated from uh, Slovenia, uh, worked for 12 cents an hour with J&L Steel, and he saved up about $4,000 and gave it to me to go to college. And he passed away, you know, uh, right when I graduated from high school. And so I thought, here's a man who did everything in his life for me, never asked for anything. The least I could do is get a good education and do something good. And that's when the real fire started. And then it reignited when I was 29. So the coals are still there. Sometimes I uh, have to stoke them a little bit but uh, as you get older. But uh, I haven't lost any fire in my belly. I find that through the story that you were telling, it, it took many, uh, as you said earlier, not straight up, but it took curves and pivots and so on and so forth, and new things. I mean, I mean going from, like you said, uh, selling widgets and, and, and uh, things to pizza, and I mean, there's just different variants. Um, anything, is it, is it exciting to try new things? I mean, what, what, what inspires you to like to try something new? I, I, I think, uh what I've learned is that you have to know your core business. My core business originally was banking and finance. And when I moved to Texas, it became more cable TV and media. And so I really knew those businesses and we scaled them. And then as we went into other businesses and my partners were the ones who led on that initially, the commitment was always run them professionally. If, they, if you can't scale them, don't, be, don't get involved. I mean, it just wasn't work. It was how do you make this a leader in the sector it's in? And so that's the way you thought. So in China, for example, Domino, or Subway was the original idea, but they didn't want us to get big. They wanted to franchise all over the country, where Domino said, we like one partner per country, per region. Just so happened we'd be in, we were in the biggest country. It took us uh, about four years to get the right. So I, when I wake up with Domino's, it's how do we get, how do we get public, you know, two or three years? How do we become as big as the US operation? In China, such a big country, you, there's no limit on the size. So. It really gets 
it, it's making sure you don't focus on too many things, but what you focus on is very scalable. And then you have to learn that you can't run them all. Mm -hmm. So you need to, at some point when you're not running them, if you're investing and overseeing, make sure you have the right people to run them. Just like your business, you mm -hmm. want to scale it. Mm -hmm. It takes a leader. Right. And and you have to put the tools in with some capital behind it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, it's working smarter as well as harder. Right. Pushing forward, pushing limits. Any favorite stories uh, along all of these all of these wins that you've had? Is there any like stories that you can? I really like this win or this. Uh, we're really excited about. Can you share with us? Um, you know, it's always there are coincidences and and how things develop. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, I guess uh, the koozie story. Yeah, know, I'm interested to hear about the koozie story. The, the, I always wondered how did somebody. Put that product together, and the, when we bought the company, it was doing about two hundred thousand a year in uh, convenience stores. They didn't have any promotional products. It was in Seguin, Texas. So we met with the owner and said, "How'd you come up with this idea?" And he said, "Well, I'd go to San Antonio and I'd watch these construction workers, and they would cut off some pipe insulation at the end of a day and stick mm. a beer in it." He thought, "Well, why don't I put a little bottom on it? And I'll market it." He didn't think about the, the promotional market at right. the time, and so we bought that, and uh, he, he, uh, we we wound up doing over 50 million in koozies, and we went back to him a couple times and said, we found this little tagline. It was blurred at the, the bottom of an old koozie, and uh, he said, yeah. He said, for some reason, I was always wondering why you wouldn't use that tagline. I said, well, can you clarify? I said, it doesn't sound really appropriate to use. He said. No, he said that we used to have the tagline. He said, uh, "Nothing better than a cold beer and a tight koozie." <laughs> and I thought, okay, uh, that might not fit in the real <laughs> business world. But I thought that was uh, always interesting how yeah. people think. Huh? Uh, just a, another coincidence. Uh, we, when we built a real estate company, we didn't know we we knew how to spell real estate. Didn't know a lot more. Yep. We'd done a few things. And we were looking for a partner. Mm -hmm. So I was doing with a bank in Zurich, Switzerland. Mm -hmm. I asked a young banker, probably was 25 years old. I said, if I'm looking for a partner in the U.S. in real estate, can you help me? He introduced us to two companies in London. One became a partner. It, was, it turned out to be a $300 million uh, type of partnership. Wow. That, uh, all in Central Texas, a little bit in Washington, D.C. You know, you never, it's like a cold call. You, right. you, make, you never know what you've find under the surface and the last thing I thought I'd be doing is Domino's Pizza in China but I got a call from a gentleman uh, who's an Israeli immigrant mm -hmm. and I used to serve on his board and he called me and said hey my son's working for a friend in China you still interested I said I am and uh, lo and behold here we are and he ran Ugg Boots Decker Outdoors in the end and you know turned turned into a very successful business person in his own right so wow. um, there are other stories. I yeah. met my wife at a blind age. She's a wonderful lady. You'll meet her shortly. Okay. And, uh, you know, it was the best thing that happened to me. That's, so. that's wonderful. In, in all the years that you've been doing business, something strikes me, and I, I really want to learn because I come from a long lineage of entrepreneurs as well. How has the market changed in not only products but real estate? How have you, from back in the 60s when you were doing business, how has it changed to now, and how do you approach uh, you know, all your promotion and, and marketing tactics now compared to back then? Is it all still the same? They're just different ways of yeah, I, I of executing? Two parts of the question. First part, I think, is when we when we were starting businesses, you had to uh, find make sure you knew the business, go find the money, 
the debt and equity, and then you had to put your fine, go borrow the money for your own equity because we didn't have much to speak of. I mean, my partners had some, but I had to borrow it. So you learned that there wasn't all this money out there that you go raise. You had to go do it yourself. So it kind of puts you in a, a real true ownership position because it was your risk. You said to guarantee some debt. Uh, that's changed today. Yeah, your back was against the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're always in the corner as mm -hmm. long as you performed. You were fine. So that didn't bother me. I, I had confidence in myself, and I had loan money, so mm -hmm. I saw how banks could manage it. Since changed, uh, the, the market's changed. On the marketing and sales side, when I found, you know, when I did cable TV uh, lending and investing, that was kind of the cutting edge then. We had this coaxial cable, and it was going to change everything, and you were going to be able to do a you know, order your movies on online and all that. Well, it's all happened. And so what I have found in the digital world is that it's still marketing, it's still sales, it's just a question of the tools that are available to get you to the end result. And if you don't stay ahead of the curve, every time you get comfortable and you look over your shoulder, you look out because somebody's coming up behind you. So what I found is just stay current, stay with young people because they've got usually the, the moxie and they see it they they buy it they use it and that's kept me in good stead uh, I just think uh, uh, if you you know Warren Buffett uh, says he doesn't know anything about technology but he sure as heck knows how to manage and so he uses technology and everything and uh, I just think uh, I've watched what's going on in China we three up to three three years ago people paid by cash they couldn't you couldn't use a credit card because they couldn't process it in their stores. Now everything is by, by uh, mobile phone, no, no credit cards. They just scan, pay for it, uh, and they order. Uh, and their, their ordering system also allows them to buy products like on Amazon and WeChat. And so when you look at countries are leaping ahead with technology, and sometimes some of that comes back here, sometimes we leap ahead, you use it elsewhere. So I just think it's staying current, uh, making sure that you never get complacent with what you're doing. And how important do you think innovation is to staying current? It's it's where everything is. Yeah. I mean, if you don't innovate, in that, it, it doesn't have doesn't mean you have to get real fancy, but you have to convince the customer that you've got something better. A golf ball's a golf ball, sure. right? But somebody has figured out a way to make it feel better, market it better. Same with golf clubs. Uh, now, I just uh, I think uh, it's like BlackBerry. What happened to BlackBerry? Sure. They lost their innovation, yep. right? Uh, you can Blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. Blockbuster. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> once you get the, if it's like Amazon, how do you stay on top? Yeah. It's hard to get up to the number one, harder to stay. Sure. I mean, we see this with, with hotels and Airbnb and taxi services and Uber. I mean, the taxi service could have easily done what Uber did. Yeah. I mean, it would have been very simple transition, and they decided not to do it for whatever reason, and that's probably a lack of innovation, right? So, Well, they got complacent because they had ex exclusivity. Cable TV used to be exclusive, and then they opened up the non-exclusivity so you get every service. You don't, I mean, today most young people stream, mm -hmm. yeah. and so you have to, what, what happens to music rights and other rights, and you have to be careful with all that stuff. But now I, I think what, what I've found is there's people that say they want to be an entrepreneur, but again, you wanting to be and taking the risk to be is that there's just you cannot put failure in your vocabulary. Yeah, that was my you, yeah. That was it, my next question yeah. was how you feel about failure. Well, I've had enough bumps in the road, uh, and if it's really a bad strategy, 
then you better shut it down. If it's execution, then you better change people. So most of the time, if you do your homework with strategy and, and, and have a good plan of execution, then it's making sure you have the right people, the right capital, and you can and the leadership to, to get through it. Uh, I just find in today's world, everybody says, well, I'll ha I have a new app for XYZ, and so it's going to be automatically profitable. I mean, I just, I, I don't, that doesn't resonate with me, and I've probably missed a lot of things in my life, but that's not a business plan. Right. Okay. And so we've had, a, we have a lot of easy money going into those fields, so you have to be careful. I, I just, um, I've just found common sense, you know, this is something someone wants. I yeah. love common sense. Yeah. It's taken me pretty much my whole entire ride. It's <laughs> it's not that difficult if you just sit back, look at it for a little bit, analyze right. it, That's right. and you can pretty much tell if it's going to work or not, or it has a shot at working with the right execution. So right. I think a lot of people get caught up with fears, doubts, failures, fear of failure, uh, fear of trying new things, and all these things stop them. So hearing your story. It's truly inspiring because it's like not you didn't stop you just kept going kept going kept going doing different things and really really love that I wonder during that time were there do you still hold most of those those businesses or do you have you sold them off and at what point do you second part of that question what point do you decide it's time to sell that one off and go somewhere else a uh, couple things on the <clears throat> in the original business cable TV what we found is that uh, we made our money by building creating, selling, and then starting over again, doing the same thing. At that time, it was the capital gains rates were about 20%, and they made it attractive. They had come down from about 45%. And so it was just a way to get comfortable where you had you built a little net worth, and mm -hmm. then you could reinvest and have to reinvest everything. So uh, the, I mean, it happened in real estate, venture capital, promotional products, I've I've owned in the in the cable TV business we owned maybe four to four companies but it was over a 25 year period so it was really staying in the business because we knew it in the promotional business I've had three or four different partners over about a 25 year period real estate maybe 15 years a couple different partners so you would sell to one sometimes take care of your investors sometimes take care of yourself or both where you want to monetize right. uh, like China is a great example mm -hmm. I've been in it now. 10 years, seven years dominoes. The goal is to get it public, where if I want to sell, I can sell, if somebody wants to sell, but if I, I'd rather keep it, because I think the compounded growth rate is, is there. Uh, I find that, I think you need to hold something for five to 10 years to make it really worth, uh, or, and scale it. Mm -hmm. In some cases, we recapitalize the business, so you take some money out. Uh, if I could do it all over again, I'd own them. I wouldn't have sold them. Really? Yeah. They're just, the businesses we were in were incredibly scalable. And so, but, you know, hindsight's 2020. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and it also, the energy level to build them is a little less when you get older. Not a lot, but a little less. So you kind of think, well, if I sell this, i got to start something up again. I'm yeah. probably a little more reluctant to do that yeah. uh, today than I was 10 years ago. What do you do for fun? Uh, I love golf. Okay. Uh, I found travel is fun uh, for me, uh, but I, the golf is kind of a, a I call it a non-contact competitive sport. I've got uh, good buddies who I play with, uh, and and I uh, I've got you know I have two two kids with uh, a couple grandchildren, and I am uh, and a beautiful wife. So I, I'd say f 
I stay, fun for me is keeping myself intellectually engaged with interesting situations and people mm -hmm. and uh, staying healthy. You know, I mean, I've always done some workout of some kind. Mm -hmm. uh, just uh, the good Lord's been good to me. I just hope I can stay, the, stay, that, stay healthy and, and give back. Definitely. You know, a lot of our listeners are are either thinking about doing, t taking the leap, jumping off the cliff. We can say it however we want to say it. And what what's your one single best piece of advice that's that you've ever really thought of that you maybe you've never told anybody or you told your kids or or your family lives by? Um, I'd like to I'd like to give the value to our listeners from somebody that's accomplished so much. Well, no matter what I've done you have to have the right value system and the value system stays with you in whatever you do doesn't matter which business whether it's pizza cable tv promotional products and when the value system is being tested it means you need to get out uh, break away don't compromise your values i guess that'd be my uh, my main message it's a great one. We haven't had that one yet, actually. Yeah, I really like that one. I do. We do, as I mentioned before the podcast, we have a private uh, Facebook group called Masters and Founders, and one of the members there asked to ask you, what's next? What's next? Uh, Coming to work with us at Masters <laughs> and Founders and Founders. Awesome. <laughs> with all that background, I'm yeah. like, yes. How scalable is your business? No. Uh, no, I think, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I, I, well, I'll, I'll give you a live this is a good, good question because it's actually happening. <clears throat> uh, because of my relationships in China and because of my re prior real estate experience mm -hmm. <clears throat> and because I have Middle Eastern partners in, uh, in some of what I'm doing in China, <clears throat> I was asked about two months ago to assist a, uh, a major Middle Eastern investment group to, f to uh, find an asset management firm in the U.S. Asset management firm meaning they for real estate, so office buildings, multifamily, uh, retail. They want they, they invest in real estate, but they now want to manage it all themselves versus subcontracting mm -hmm. it out. So you have everything from raising the funds to, to asset management to property management to selling it. <clears throat> so uh, I thought about it for a little bit, and I'm thinking, how much time do I have? Well, I called a friend mm -hmm. who has been retired now for about eight years, and he ran a company that went from zero to 86 billion in global asset management and real estate. Holy cow. Wow. And we have met with the Middle Eastern people and they want to engage us to help build their U.S. model. Wow. And then global model. That's awesome. So uh, I put my brain to work where I said, I don't want to run it, but I found somebody who can help me oversee it and we've got the person to run it because this person used to work for them. And so we've got the money, we've got the people, we've got the strategy and it's scalable. So I, that's my next. I love it. Yeah, so uh, it you just know, happened. I love it, it. It seems like you were doing business in the United States for roughly 30 plus, 30 plus years, correct? Yes. I mean, you well, still well, do business here. So, yes. but what, what is it like for those, for those people listening that might want to do business in other countries? What's, what's, what's majorly different in both spaces? Because it is different, right? It is different. Yeah. I, I made my first trip to Europe in 74. Uh-huh. Uh, my first trip to China and Japan in 84. <clears throat> but the European trip helped cause me dramatically because it was in Switzerland primarily, a little bit of London. And uh, what I found uh, was that uh, each country has its own style. 
And if, but if you do not respect their culture and their ways and their, and their approach, uh, you're never, you'll never do anything with them. Dead they in the water. That in the end, they generally get to where everybody gets to the same objective. They just come at it differently. Mm -hmm. So if, if you come across as the ugly American, you'll be the ugly American. Right. Yeah. And here you have in China, they're smart as can be. The Chinese training has always been get the job done. Our training has been get all the pieces done. Yeah. So as we manage over there, we have to respect the fact that their training's been a little bit more Asian and Eastern than Western. And so where we think just get it done, they gave, give me a specific goal. What do you exactly want? And it's so it's respecting the culture. And their education over there is much different than it is here, correct? They groom them pretty much from age 13 on up, right? They test really young to go. They and test, and they, it's, it's, I hate to call it more memorizing, but they're, they, they have to do well. They have yeah. to score well, uh -huh. where I didn't score well in high school, but I scored pretty good, pretty well in college, and then I've scored well afterwards. So if I hadn't had a chance to go to college, I might not have had a chance to score uh -huh. right. so they there you've got a system where if you if you don't score well at a young age then you maybe you're limiting yourself uh, it's a push pull it's, yeah it's a they're the second they're, they're gonna be the world power yeah right. I mean they they're coming right. <laughs> they're already here yeah for sure you said you wanted to scale to three to four thousand stores correct in, in China how uh, how long do you think it'll take you to accomplish that and you started Seven years ago, with with well, we Domino's. Started seven years ago, we had 18 stores. Had to shut down 16 because the brand was uh -huh. old to, and tired. Back to two stores. Yeah, essentially. started with two stores. It took us a while to get going. We will, we will after this year. We'll with just owning stores, not franchises. Sure. Uh, we can open between 50 and 100 stores a year. Now that we have the rights for the whole country, <clears throat> franchising is the fastest way to grow, but also carries a lot of risk. You can franchise here in the U.S. because. You're both business people. If you said you wanted to own three or four, say, uh, uh, Subways or pizza, or whatever whatever the brand would be, you could probably qualify. And our legal system protects the franchisor and the franchisee. In China, uh, there's virtually no training, so you have to feed the system with your own store managers, assistant managers, area managers, and that takes time. Yeah. And then the legal system is not set up there yet to protect either the franchise or the franchisee. So it's coming. Uh, so, but if we could franchise, we could be there. We could be four or 5,000 stores in six, seven years. I think we'll have, if you're here five years from now, I think we'll have about 600 stores and we will have a base to franchise 5,000. So that, that's, that base needs to get big enough where we can feed the system. Mm -hmm. The U.S. Domino's has 5,500 stores. They own about 500 and the rest are franchised. They built them along. They they did this along the way. I think we're going to have to build the first 500, and then we'll we'll it franchise. Well, we well it sounds like the system. it sounds like you're having. Well, you're building an entire system. So right. when you say I'm building 50 or 100, that means I'm thinking employees. I'm thinking all the training. I'm thinking the CEO's got a lot of right. work to like put things in place, yep. and everybody's got to go through the system before you can put them out. Right. So, and then it's much. E and and again, you have to look at China. You've got Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, and Guangzhou. Each city has 30 plus billion people. You build a core there out of a billion, 400 million people. Maybe the real population today is four or 500 million that you can serve, but you get that core. It's like being in New York, Chicago, LA, and Texas. 
if you were you right. know, all of a sudden then you can expand from there and right. you can feed the regions with your people yeah. who are plugged into your systems and and what they need to do is sell pizza right right you're providing them with all the products that the systems. ingredients your, through your commissaries things like that that's awesome how is china taking to pizza well we pizza got there a long time ago yeah. when they built uh, restaurants mm -hmm. and so the category was kind of set uh, set up properly uh, but all of our market research is uh, very positive uh, one they like warm food they like to share it that's healthy and uh, the category is growing dramatically and we're picking up market share so that's no, it it's you know in the major cities that they've all they've all been to the u.s primarily they know the pizzas they know papa john's they know pizza hut so in, in all the brands that's awesome well, Frank, I've I've really loved this interview. Yeah, we're going to go, for all those listeners, we're going to go pick Frank's brain a little yeah, bit we're more. Yeah, I can't wait to get the happy hour so we can talk about other things. No, no this has been fun, yeah. and thank you for, for having me interviewed. I'm, uh, I'm uh, honored to be uh, in, on your program. Thank you. Yeah. Have a good day. For all the listeners out there, go, go check Frank out online. There's a lot of interesting things that you can learn about him that's open to the public. Thank you, Frank. Appreciate it. Building empires and taking names. Frank has a wealth of knowledge to share, and we are so thankful for his time. The way his mind works is just awe-inspiring, and he still has that founder's fire burning in his belly. The Masters and Founders team includes me, Dan Dillard, and producer Mariah Gossett. Thank you so much to all the folks at Founding Austin. If you're enjoying the show so far, please tell a friend. We are available wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate, subscribe, and share. It all helps. Thanks for listening.